what causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and a judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the reading of God's word. Yes, indeed, this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, would you please come speak to us? May your word be alive and powerful to our hearts for the transforming of mind, soul, body, the whole of us, Lord. May we be sanctified. May we be changed. May we be helped in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I do want to mention one other matter. Our grace and race brunches uh, continue uh, a week from today. Uh, will be the first of two this month, so the 8th and the 22nd. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet for those, the sign-up sheets are in the back. Can I, I? I wrestle sometimes in the process of communication to find the right word. Can I ask? Not strong enough. Can I encourage? Not strong enough. Can I beg? Yeah, you're getting closer. I urge. I admonish. I plead that none of us grow weary in these conversations. I plead that we all engage them. Love and unity and understanding are too important and they are too imperative for us ever to think that they are too 
impossible. They are too important and they are too imperative. Let us not think that they are impossible. God gives us grace to have hard conversations, to have deep conversations across lines that so often and so deeply divide us. Can I plead with you all to engage in these conversations, both when they're in the brunch context and when we have our larger gatherings? Uh, If you are couples and you have children, I encourage you One member of the couple come the first week, the other member come the second week. Uh, This is good for teenagers. This is good for tweens. This, This is serious conversation that makes a difference in our lives. May God, may God stir us, stir us in these things. Fitting that I should uh, make that push and make that announcement as we wrap up our series on communication this afternoon. We have been going through a series of principles from God's Word on how to communicate with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and as fellow image bearers of God. I trust that you have a, an outline for this afternoon that goes with all that preceded in the uh, pr- previous four weeks that together in the folder that was provided for you Uh, can make a complete set of notes. In addition to that, as you leave today, if you haven't received these already, you will receive a bookmark on which are all the principles from this series on communication so that you can insert that in your Bible. You can insert that in whatever books uh, that you turn to with regularity. And these principles can, from day to day and week to week, find their way into your heart. The principles follow the spelling of the word communicate. Sil, uh, C is what? Chill. O, open up. M, make time. M, mean what you say. U, understand what you hear. N, nourish with grace. I, initiate peace. C, celebrate others. A, Assume you are wrong, T, think the best, and today, E, examine your heart. Examine your heart. Brothers and sisters, my friends here this afternoon, these are the commandments of the Lord. This is the will of God that these principles be practiced in our lives, and and these are the principles that guide us throughout all of life. They, they, we cannot let them stop at the gender line. We cannot let them stop at the class division. We cannot let them stop at the racial divide or the generation gap. These are the principles that are to guide us in all our relationships, in all our conflicts, in all our interaction with each other. May, may God give us grace to obey. Let's look at the last point, just one point here this afternoon. The E stands for examine your 
heart. In the, in the text that was just read in your hearing, we see that the reason, James chapter 4, verses 1 and following, the reason we fight with each other, the reason we argue and break all the rules of communication in hostile opposition to each other, the reason is because we want something that we're not getting. We argue because we want something we are not getting. Verse 1 of chapter 4, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your wants, your cravings are at war within you? You desire, you want, and do not have. So you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel. Why do we fight with each other? Why do we argue? This is penetrating spiritual insight here from the man James. All of our arguings and all of our judgings and all of our prejudgings and all of our accusings and quarrelings and resentings and feudings and fightings and warmongerings and strivings and all of the 10,000 different ways that we fail to get along with each other and fail to hold respectful and loving conversations with one another, all of these are due to the things we want but are not getting. Another way of saying that is that what's in our hearts what our desires are, what our cravings are, what our wants are in our hearts controls our words, determines our actions. What we want decides how we live. What we want decides how we speak. It's what's in here that is the source of everything that I do and I say out there. Jesus agrees with his half-brother James in Mark chapter 7, a text that's in your outline. For from within, Jesus says, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. One of the great mistakes that human beings make when assessing the things they say or the things they do is this. They say, he made me do it. Or this circumstance made me do it. Or she made me do it. Or the devil made me do it. And Jesus would say, and James would say, no. Nobody makes you do anything. You choose to do what you do. You choose to say what you say based on what is controlling your heart in that given moment. Paul Tripp puts it like this, and this is worth memorizing. Whatever controls our hearts exercises an inescapable influence on our lives. 
simple but profound. Whatever controls our hearts exercises an inescapable influence on our lives. Whatever controls your heart, folks, whatever's on the throne in here, my friends, this is what exercises an inescapable influence on what you say and do and how you live. And this can be something beautiful to watch or it can be ugly. On the beauty side of it, I think of a man that was the director of the summer Bible camp where Galen and uh, I met uh, back in the summer of 75. Ancient history. At this camp, there was the dear director, Dr. Or Mr. Chafee, and godly man who served Christ faithfully and loved the word and loved children and loved the church and loved holiness. Sadly, in his later years, he uh, developed Alzheimer's and uh, through that sad and tragic illness, he, he slowly but steadily lost his, his capacity to recognize to recognize even his wife and to recognize many of the old places and habits of his life. There was this one time, however, when there were guests at their home and, and somewhere in the course of the evening, Mrs. Chafee realized that Mr. Chafee was no longer in the room and so she went to find him and looked here and looked there and eventually found him sitting in the car of, that belonged to the guests that were at their home. And he was trying to drive the car away. And Mrs. Chafee urged him to get out of the car, come back into the house. And he said no. And she pleaded again. And he said no. And, and after a while, she wasn't sure quite what to say. But then finally, it came to her to say this. But Glenn... If you take this car, that will be stealing. And immediately the man got out of the car. Because you see, for decades, there was something that controlled his heart and still did, even in his illness. It was a love of the law of God. And whatever controls the heart has an inescapable effect upon the life. At another time, Mr. Chafee had gone to bed and soon thereafter his wife came into the room and sadly he was unable to recognize her and was horrified at her presence. There's a woman in his bedroom and said, this, I'm a married man. And you think about that. Here's a man in whom the law of God, the will of God reigned supreme. So much so that even in his illness, his life and his choices and his words were governed by what governed his heart. That's a beautiful thing. More times than not, I fear it's an ugly thing in our lives. Our words, we argue because our hearts want something we're not getting from 
others. Our words are controlled by our wants. Our unfulfilled desires lead us at times to unrestrained words. Whatever's ruling in here, and folks, that whatever's ruling in here right now, whatever controls my heart right now is my present tense God. Whatever is governing my heart right now is God in my life right now. Because God is the one who's supposed to be ruling my heart. And if there is something that I want in my life, want it from you, want it from God, want it from somebody else, and I want it so much that I'm willing to fight and I'm willing to quarrel and I'm willing to be hostile towards you in order to try to get that thing, then that thing that I desire is the God that's ruling my heart. And I need to examine my heart. And this, by the way, folks, is why James speaks of this so seriously. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? This is strong language. James is saying that if you and I argue with each other over things that we want... It means that at that moment, someone or something other than God is ruling our hearts. And that means that we're committing spiritual adultery. That means in that moment, we're functioning as enemies of God. We are not standing in the way of God for the will of God and for the glory of God. We are standing in our own way, in our own will, for our own glory. And that is spiritual adultery. That is being an enemy of God in that moment. So, here's the point. Poetry form. Whenever conflict gets a start, whenever conflict gets a start, Check for the God that rules your heart. Whenever conflict gets a start, check for the God that rules your heart. If you're in the middle of an argument, it's because in that moment, there is a God on the throne of your heart whose name is not Jesus who is not the God of the Bible. Some other God, some other craving, some other superior love, some other supreme affection, something other than God is ruling your heart. So whenever conflict gets a start, check for the God that rules your heart. Let me, let me return without apology to an illustration I've used before. Let's, let's think about dinner time. All right, dinner, dinner is prepared, the table is set, the hands are washed, everything is nearly ready. And then careless little three-year-old Ralphie. We don't have any Ralphies, do we, in the church? I was trying to think. I can't think of any Ralphies. So careless little Ralphie does his milk version of the Gatorade victory celebration. 
You know what that is, right? He just takes the, the milk, pours it over his own head, and in so doing, thoroughly damps everything and douses the meatloaf in the process. And after a momentary out-of-body experience in which you kind of hover over the world that has just gone dark on you, your blood begins to boil. And very quickly, little Ralphie grieves his celebration, not because he made a mess of dinner, but because daddy or mommy has suddenly transformed into a fire-breathing dragon. And the fire in your eyes and the steam coming out of your ears uh, reminds me of a, of a line from P.G. Wodehouse. You look like a, a tomato struggling for self-expression. And that's, that's you. And, and all of a sudden you find your self-expression. And little Ralphie suddenly has a whole new list of names. None of which sound warm and fuzzy. And there's a volcanic rant that begins to spew out, moves from your flaming eyes to blaming rage to shaming accusation to defaming insult to maiming threat. And, and all of this is flowing unabated like molten lava out of your mouth over the, the head of this poor child who is now melting further and further into a puddle of fear and of shame. And then in the middle of the lava flow, your phone dings and you see that it's your community group leader or even worse, one of the pastors. And you know the rest. Suddenly jarred from your self-serving rant, your torrent of self-expression, suddenly you're confronted with a choice. And imagine little Ralphie's wonder and amazement as you transform again, this time from dragon to lamb. And with a kind of nutra-sweet affect, you pick up the phone and you offer the nicest and the sweetest and the gentlest hello that has ever, ever been spoken. What has happened? Besides the brazen hypocrisy, there is instant self-control. Instant self-control. But why? How? How did that happen? A second earlier, if somebody had asked you, you would have said that you couldn't help yourself. You had to vent. Little Ralphie just made you do it. But now you're all sweetness and light and, and everything is nice. How did that change? What was it that affected that change? Here's what happened. Your heart changed. More specifically, the motivation of your heart changed. Five seconds earlier, your motivation was a kind of anger lust to, to belittle and badger and make this kid's life miserable. Five seconds later... What's in your heart is a reputation lust that trumps the anger lust and what controls your heart affects your mouth. Because 
because you wanted to save face, because you didn't want to look like a bad mommy, because you didn't want to look like a bad daddy, you changed. The heart, what motivated the heart, what was on the heart, determined what came out of your mouth. It always does. It always does. That's what James is saying here. What James is saying. What's ruling in here, what you want, has an inescapable influence on what you say or what you do. Let me, let me slow this down. I don't know if we have slides for this. Um, let me slow this down. Let's say this is like a still frame look at an argument, how an argument develops, okay? This is, this is how it works. The first step is desire. Desire. I want something. On a hot day like today, ice cream. Let's go with ice cream. All right. How many of you could go for some ice cream right now? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You told the truth better this week than you did last week, by the way. I want a bowl of ice cream. The want could be anything. Husbands, it could be your desire for your wife's respect. Wives, for your husband's affection. It could be uh, your way in a decision. Or it may be that if you're an African-American brother or sister, you want, want white folks to understand. Or if you're white, you want, you want black folks to understand why you don't understand. It, it, it could be any number of desires, any number of wants. And the wants themselves may not be bad. There's nothing wrong with a bowl of ice cream. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be respected or to be loved or to be understood. Nothing wrong with that. However, when that desire turns into step two, need, then we're in trouble. When my desire morphs into a perceived need, I don't just want a bowl of ice cream. I need a bowl of ice cream. My life depends on a bowl of ice cream. My life depends on you understanding me. My life depends on you uh, respecting me or loving me. When it turns, desire turns into need, then we're getting into trouble. But then it leads to step three, demand. That's when I turn perceived need into a right which others are obligated to give me. So I say to Gaylene, when I get home this evening, hey, hon, I would, I would like a bowl of ice cream. In fact, I need a bowl of ice cream. But for whatever reason, Gaylene is either unavailable, unavailable for it, or maybe in a moment, first time in 40 years, she's defiant toward me. And, and she says, no, I'm not getting the bowl of ice cream. And I'm sitting here thinking, I want, I need, I demand. And in fact, number four, I expect. I expect what I have a right to. I expect that I will receive. When, when it gets to expectation level, we are in serious spiritual temptation. Because what happens to most expectations? They get disappointed. 
Disappointment sets in. What I expect but do not get, the ice cream that I expect my wife to be ever so willing to go and get for me, she does not get for me, turns into disappointment. And the way our hearts function when disappointment happens, punishment happens. Someone is going to pay for disappointing me by not giving me what I want, what I demand, what I expect. And so the war begins. Ah, uh, my friends, that's a slow motion, still frame look at every argument you've ever had. Started with a want, turned into a perceived need, became a demand, a right that I have, not, I have a right to and others are obligated to give me, turned into an expectation, what I have a right to, I expect I will receive, it turns into disappointment. What I expected but do not get leads to disappointment with someone, that leads to punishment, someone is going to pay, and so the war begins. So the war begins. And so the exhortation is, examine your heart. What this means, folks, is this, that not after the argument is concluded and there, there's blood and bodies everywhere in terms of hurt feelings and all the rest, but while it's going on, while you feel your blood boiling, while you are saying the things that down deep you know you shouldn't be saying, interrupt yourself interrupt the argument and say, I know that right now, because of the way I'm responding, I know there's a God in my heart that isn't God. And I don't want to worship this God, I want to worship that God. And stop the argument. Husbands, wives, friends, stop the argument. Get apart from each other. Get on your knees Plead with God to reveal the idol of your heart. Confess it to God. Say, Lord, forgive me because I've been worshiping someone or something other than you. Go back to your spouse. Go back to your friend. Go back to that brother or sister and, and express to them your sorrow for loving whatever you were craving more than you love God, for loving whatever you wanted more than you love them. And then pick up the conversation and see where it goes from there. And I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would wager everything I have that if we would practice these things, the number and the intensity and the length of our arguments would so decrease that we wouldn't recognize our relationship six months from now. I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it. Let us examine our hearts. I don't know about you, but this text, when I read that my heart is functioning as an enemy of God when I go to war over things that I want, I don't know about you, that makes me tremble. That's, that's stern stuff. When I see it say that I'm an, an adulteress, I'm, I'm being 
spiritually adulterous toward God. That, that, that puts the fear into me. I, I, I want to make sure that that fear is, is answered with faith. Listen, listen to these words. Romans chapter 5. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. I want to make sure you hear that. Yeah, there are times when our tongues and our hearts and our arguments betray the fact that in that moment we are functional enemies of God, but God loves His enemies. And He has loved His enemies, you and me, so much that He gave His Son to die for His enemies so that we who once were enemies are now seated at His table. We who once were His enemies are now His friends. And even in our Christian lives where we have moments when we are in functional enmity against God, we can in those moments be reminded by the Spirit of God that even though we are acting like enemies toward Him, He is not acting like an enemy toward us. And He loves us. And He cherishes us. Even even, even, even when other things are in our hearts, in ruling our hearts, that are not Him. Oh, to God be glory for such grace as this. And may it be in the, in the strength of it and hope of it, as we close this series, may it be that we will leave with a commitment to live in ways, to live in love in ways we never have. Before can can I just give you a couple parting, quick parting thoughts? Remember what James says in chapter one: Do not be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. Oh, I have been praying that we as a congregation would heed those words. You know, folks, you can hear these messages, you can hear these principles. But if you do not consciously apply them, if you do not deliberately and intentionally take them home and review them and consider the, your life in the light of them and make choices to change, I'm here to tell you because I've seen it over and over and over again. Six weeks from now, you won't even remember these things. If you do not consciously and deliberately change in the light of these things, you will not remember these things. And so we're trying to give you every means we can to remember these things. That's why we put the points in an acrostic so that with a little bit of work you can remember, chill, open up, and all the rest. This is why we're giving you a bookmark so that you can take it home with you. This is why we've given you notes and a folder so that you will at least have these things in your hand. Oh, oh, read them and study them and restudy them so that you have them in your heart. Otherwise, it's all for nothing. All for nothing. Can I say this too? Don't decide that you're just going to do one of the things or two of the things you're going to have to decide to do all these things. And sometimes you can say, well, why don't you work on this area of your life and we'll get to that other part later. But if you decide, you know what? Um, 
I'm going I'm I'm to work on the open up part of this and not the chill part of this. Think about that combination. I'm just going to be open. Don't worry about chilling. You may like that, but nobody else will. Now, these, these are principles, all of which have to be pursued, all of which have to be practiced. And in the doing of it, you will fail. In the doing of it, you will sin. In the doing of it, you will fall flat on your face. But remember what our sister read earlier, if we mourn, if we confess our sins, if we humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord, He will lift us up. He exalts the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So if you blow it, get up and move on. If you blow it, Don't grovel, just get up and move on because the gospel gives you that grace, that power, that strength. And so let me close. Here's here's the entire poem in one reading and I hope that it wraps it up okay for us. To keep from war in little spat, turn down the anger thermostat, to hide the heart and spirit closed does far more harm than we suppose. Talk takes time, so choose to plan how much and when as best you can. Being heard depends on you. Make all your words both straight and true. To listen, cover mouth with hand and bend the ear to understand our gladness in relationships is nourished by our grace-filled lips to make the peace we wish we had. Don't ever go to bed still mad. Take moments with each human being to celebrate the grace you're seeing. And while you're at it, cut the scorn, the slicing words by which we're torn. I'm likely wrong, let us assume, and by this give the truth some room. Before we jump to think the worst, believe the best, judge kindly first. Whenever conflict gets a start, check for the God that rules your heart. Be diligent, apply it all, but brace yourself for many a fall. For fail you will, though hard you try. But Jesus came for sins to die. So mourn your sins and cling to grace And get right up, rejoin the race. You need not in despair be flung. For God will sanctify your tongue. To his glory forever. Father, would you please teach us in the inner man, the inner person, that we might live for your pleasure and glory and for each other's good. In Jesus' name, amen.